This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You are an old man who thinks in terms of nations and peoples. There are no nations. There are no peoples. There is only one holistic system of systems. One vast and imane, interwoven, interacting, multivariate, multinational dominion of dollars. And you have meddled with the primal forces of nature. And you will atone. Everybody knows that the days are loaded. Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed Everybody knows the war is over Everybody knows the good guys lost Everybody knows the fight was fixed The poor stay poor, the rich get rich That's how it goes Live from Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. And welcome to the program, Sunday, August the 15th, 2010 edition, and it is Shia Day, the, uh, the first anniversary of this program on AM 740 Zoomer Radio, and what a year it's been. We kicked it off. Uh, in 2009, it was a Sunday night, August the 16th, of course, the anniversary of Elvis Presley's uh, a death. Uh, although the subject of that night's program uh, dealt with the theory and the evidence that he is, in fact, uh, still alive. So here we are, still alive, one year later. And uh, many thanks, and I guess a happy anniversary to Dan Ellison, my technical producer. What, do we, what is the first anniversary? What is it, paper? I'll get you a lottery ticket, Dan, because, uh, you know, we work in radio, so enough said, right? Uh, wow, what can I tell you? Uh, I was, uh, we didn't even do a mic check. We didn't have time, but I, I obviously we're on the air. I was, uh, I got a little sidetracked. Uh, George Inescu and I, uh, we sort of joke and banter uh, leading up to the show. And uh, I don't know what you call this, but he was playing I Love You for Sentimental Reasons, and that's been covered by... Sam Cooke and Dinah Shore and Dean Martin and uh, um, my favorite version is, would be Nat King Cole. Uh, and I don't know why I thought of this, but it's not, a, it's not a pun. This is not a pun. I don't know what you would call it, but the weirdest thing just popped into my head. I had to rush into the studio, which is why we didn't have time for a mic check, and share this with George. I thought, oh, aren't I clever? I said to him, it just came to me. I said, George... What did Nat King Cole say to the female yogi? You know, yogis who, you know, meditation and all that in India. I said, what did Nat King Cole say to the female yogi? I love you for transcendental reasons. 
I can hear the chorus of booze uh, across North America. <laughs> what do you call that? That's not a pun, but uh, anyway, I, uh, I'm going to write that down and, and uh, dust it off and probably uh, share it with friends. And uh, they'll probably shut me down with a chorus of booze as well. Uh, what, what else can I tell you? The, uh, the weather has been grand, although we had... Uh, I drove down here in a uh, torrential downpour, which I love. I love driving in the rain at night. Um, it's just something magical about it. However, the, uh, I was out at the, uh, the side garden today. We have uh, up in Onionville, I call it, our uh, little side garden. And we've got about, uh, uh, oh, maybe a dozen tomato plants. And uh, it's harvest time. What can I tell you? It's about a week early. But I have, I must have pulled about three. I've got a stainless steel bowl I take out there with my, my one little guy, uh, Zachary. We'll eat. Talk about, he's just a Greek through and through. He'll actually go and pull a tomato off the vine and eat it like an apple. Whereas my little, uh, my other little guy North is, well, my Italian friends would call him a munch of cake. Uh, you know, he loves his bread and potatoes, but uh, what a harvest we had today. I took this, that bowl out there three times f- and filled it up, took it back into the kitchen, dumped them off, went back out for more. And these are big, robust tomatoes. And I had a nice tomato salad before we came down to the uh, th- the program tonight. So uh, we're going to uh, launch into the program very quickly here. I want to get right to my guest. He is a, uh, this, he's got a very interesting background, as many of my guests do. But let me, uh, let me share some of his bio information with you. He's uh, the author of The Soul Genome, Science and Reincarnation, which is written from the perspective of a psychologist and an interdisciplinary cosmologist. But before becoming an independent scholar and creator of the reincarnation experiment, we're going to delve into that, his public, in, uh, public career included roles as a Protestant minister, a U.S. naval officer, get this, an American diplomat, and a U.S. State Department official. The reincarnation experiment. We're going to discuss and explain how, well, he says past lives can be proven using the science of biometrics. He says we have a past life legacy that has been accumulating experience and insight and knowledge and capabilities over many, many lifetimes. He says sharing, uh, he says that uh, a number of factors which he uses to determine the likelihood that someone has been reincarnated include physical body type, facial features, personality traits, and unlearned knowledge or skills. So for the next uh, 90 minutes or so, we're going to discuss reincarnation and whether it can be proven scientifically. And it's a delight to welcome Paul Von Ward to The Conspiracy Show. Hello, Paul. How are you, Michael? Richard? Very well. Michael, perhaps in a previous life. Well, you know, uh, I was wondering where that came from. I think it was because the last uh, uh, radio or television show I had, I was speaking to Michael. And uh, so we get entrained, you know, with patterns of memories and thoughts. And uh, that's what happens in reincarnation. We carry forward from the previous lifetime into this lifetime. Apparently, uh, I won't use the words that uh, you mentioned, uh, that we can definitively 100% prove reincarnation and how it works. I don't think we're there yet, but we're making a lot of progress. And uh, one of the conclusions I think we can uh, take at this point point in time is that we do carry memories and uh, patterns of thought 
mental uh, ways of thinking, analyzing, reacting to new information, all of those things that are called cognitive uh, factors in our mind, and a lot of other things. So uh, that's the package I think we got carried uh, forward. So. Uh, Michael, this time it's Richard, so we can move on from that. That's all right. Well, listen, uh, I mean, you wear, you have worn many hats, and uh, before I, you know, get into whether or not perhaps you have uh, been reincarnated and, and getting specifically into the reincarnation experiment, uh, I, I mean, you, you were an American diplomat. You, uh, uh, you know, worked at the State Department, uh, the U.S. Navy. How did you get into cosmology? Well, I think uh, probably because of the previous lives that I had before this lifetime. Uh, we can talk about that a little bit. Um, I think that uh, I started out as a young, uh, curious, uh, questioning student in school, always asking questions of my teachers and uh, uh, putting them on the spot to explain the assertions that they were making. And in fact, uh, when I was first very much involved in uh, religion in a Protestant church in the United States, um, I was only about 12 years old. And uh, of course, we had in that time in the community in which I lived, a very fundamentalist evangelical uh, group of churches in that area. And uh, I began got caught up in that, uh, the notion that we were uh, God's chosen, that the people who were members of my church had the real truth, and that we had to spread that truth around the world. And I began to uh, adopt that and join the church, and the minister thought I was a bright young man, and uh, he talked with me, and then I started questioning him. I said, uh, gee, if we're so special and I'm going to go out and be a missionary around the world, uh, to bring people into uh, this heavenly realm uh, that they can only come through by believing the way we believe. What about all those people that uh, haven't heard me yet? I mean, I said, there are people in Africa and Asia that I haven't had a chance to uh, preach to. And I said, what kind of God would uh, uh, condemn those people who haven't heard us yet and heard our message uh, to hell for eternity? And uh, that sort of threw him back on his heels, and uh, that was the beginning of my uh, challenging of, of conventional, conventional authority, conventional uh, worldviews, uh, whether they be religious or scientific or political. And um, I think that has just expanded exponentially in every decade of my life as I've gone through different... Uh, professions, you know, when you're a young person uh, going through school and college, you have a lot of interest and get encouraged by mentors, uh, authority figures, and so I tried them all out. I tried the ministry, I tried the military, I tried diplomacy, I tried politics, uh, I tried uh, psychology, uh, and all of them uh, were left wanting in terms of what I wanted in terms of, um, how do we say, uh, satisfactory explanation of, of, of the cosmology that uh, people carry around in their heads. And there we are. 
Uh, well, as you point out in your website, uh, half the world's population believes in reincarnation, and according to polls, about a quarter of U.S. citizens do, and I would, I would hazard to guess that it's probably about the same up here in Canada. So where was, the, when was, and, and what, under what circumstances did you experience that aha moment that you uh, had experienced past lives? Well, uh, I don't know that there is one dramatic uh, aha moment. I, I realize that, in fact, I've written in the book, The Soul Genome book, and another book that I'm working on now, and in the reincarnation experiment, we've collected many, many cases uh, that have started with a, a bolt of lightning kind of experience where they remember, where the individuals remembered uh, a place, people, events, and a, a historical era that uh, was 100 years ago or 200 years ago, and where they knew things specifically that they could then verify. And many of them, when they verified that information, either through research or other ways, were uh, snapped out of the present uh, worldview that they had and uh, said, this is something that is important. Then, of course, you've got all the cases that we hear about uh, from time to time of, of children uh, in the United States um, uh, a couple of years ago, we had this case of a young boy about five years old who started having memories of being a pilot uh, uh, shot down in the attack on Pearl Harbor uh, back in 1941. And he knew all kinds of information about planes and the war and uh, what the pilot was like that was shot down that he had the memories about and so on. Ch- uh, that was James Leininger? Leininger, uh, yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I remember that case. Absolutely mind-blowing, uh, the detail that this young boy had about this, this World War II pilot, and it was verified. I mean, yeah. not that necessarily that he, that, 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 that he was reincarnated, but this person that he claimed that he was in a former life, that person existed, and he had just exacting information. Yeah, well, Ian Stevenson, a psychiatrist who worked about 40 years at the University of Virginia before he died a couple of years ago, about three years ago now, uh, collected about 2,500 cases of children with memories that he was able to uh, verify and document. And uh, in addition to that database, there are many, many other independently uh, researched uh, cases uh, out in the public domain. People have published their own books. Uh, Other people have put together collections of, of these cases. Uh, And as you mentioned, just having memories of a previous lifetime that have been verified does not necessarily prove the uh, theory of reincarnation. I have colleagues, uh, psychologists, who say, wait a minute, you know, there are many other explanations. One of the favorite ones of some of my uh, psychologist friends uh, is... Uh, involved one of one of them involves the Jungian concept of archetypes. You know the notion that uh, there's sort of energy field that represents a particular person or a particular kind of person, and that we tap into it and and somehow uh, it affects our uh, way of thinking, the the, the, the personality that we uh, express to the rest of the world that it comes from this archetype coming through us, manifesting through us. There are other explanations. I mean, we, we have so many 
studies these days in neuroscience uh, uh, pretty, uh, I think, definitively demonstrating that we can pick up the thoughts of other people. We have, you know, telepathic communications with our family, with our colleagues, with people at a distance where we, we pick up things that they're thinking and vice versa. Uh, we have all kinds of evidence to suggest that we have something called remote viewing where we can uh, pick up information about other people and places and events uh, sitting in our own living room. Yeah, I think, uh, uh, Paul, that um, quantum quantum mechanics may go a long way in, in helping to explain a lot of those things that we sort of look at as paranormal phenomena. I mean, you talk about uh, being able to read other people's minds or having some sort of a psychic connection with someone at a distance. I think, you know, uh, things like particle entanglement might one day explain that to a certain extent. But when we come back, let's uh, get into the reincarnation experiment, science and reincarnation uh, put together. Paul Von Ward is my guest, the author of The Soul Genome. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. When you look at the sky, ever wonder if someone's looking back? This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To speak to Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario, 1-866-740-4740. And I'd love to hear from you if you believe that uh, you are, in fact, reincarnated, that uh, you have uh, had previous lives, uh, and perhaps you may be able to get involved in the reincarnation experiment. We're discussing that with Paul Von Ward, uh, who is with us tonight, the author of The Soul Genome, Science and Reincarnation. As you point out, uh, uh, Paul, it's beyond the current tools of science to definitively prove uh, the general theory of reincarnation, and likewise, it's beyond the tools of modern medicine to disprove it. So what then led to the, uh, the reincarnation experiment? And, and how do you apply uh, sort of the scientific uh, method or uh, uh, scientific rules to something uh, that we generally regard as supernatural or paranormal? Well, let me uh, go back just a moment, and uh, you initially mentioned what aha moment did I have, and I explained that I didn't have one, but I I had a series of experiences over uh, quite a number of years that uh, got me personally interested in the idea. I had been, you know, intellectually and uh, in a scholarly research way interested in the belief in reincarnation, but I had a, back 30 years ago, I had a friend, a psychologist friend when I was still in the State Department in Washington, who had a friend who uh, spoke to spirit guides. Uh, He was a psychologist out in Iowa, and uh, my friend said, I'm going to meet with him, and why don't I have a list of questions from you to see what sort of information you might get from this channel. And uh, I said, okay, I've never tried that before. Let me 
let me try it out. And I developed a list of questions about a variety of things. But one of them happened to have been uh, uh, related to reincarnation. And this uh, recording came back on a little cassette tape at the time uh, with answers to my questions. And one of them got my attention very quickly because the, the voice was describing a health problem that I had that I hadn't even told my wife about yet. And um, I said, you know, that's very interesting that some voice out in Iowa coming through this uh, psychologist there would know, would know this information. So then when he started saying some things about possible uh, past lives, I started to pay attention to them and uh, got my interest. Uh, it was sort of an intellectual interest, and a, another psychology friend in Washington and I decided we would uh, develop a regression process for ourselves, for self-regression, and we did that, and uh, uh, although we thought we were maybe creating a fantasy in our efforts, uh, some information came which was very interesting. And several other things like that happened uh, for several years, uh, just different kinds of information that I did a, a regression uh, therapy session uh, over a period of about three months with a friend out in um, the San Francisco area. And that was beginning to build up. And then in the early 90s, I was speaking on one of my earlier books at a conference and met this Ian Stevenson that I mentioned earlier. And he started telling me about the physical ex uh, evidence that he was accumulating and how he had verified the memories. And I began to think, you know, well, if reincarnation is real, then it's really real. It's not that some people are reincarnated. Uh, it's that everyone must be involved in this process. And so I began uh, over the years researching, you know, the spiritual traditions, the religious traditions, uh, Plato's writing on uh, reincarnation and everyone you could think of. And so I reached a point, I was writing a book for my publisher on reincarnation from a historical point of view. And then I had a invitation to a group of people who uh, were gathered around uh, the work of a, a person named Walter Simcue, who happened to be an author of the same publisher that I was publishing books with. And uh, he had several cases that he had developed, and he introduced them to the group, and we got to know each other quite well. And so I began to say, what we really need to do then, rather than write these uh, stories and case studies that describe things but don't explain them, we need to do something uh, more rigorous and more scientific about uh, this question. So I started what I call a meta-analysis which was taking a look at many of Ian Stevenson's cases that he developed over those uh, 40 years, and the books of many, many people and the cases of many, many people, including ones that I had begun to collect in my own research. And what I found was that, not in all cases, but in the best cases of all of these that we could review, that there was emerging a sort of uh, package of factors 
that were evident in these strong cases. These factors were uh, physical, facial uh, similarities, body type, uh, other uh, genotype features, that the uh, mental uh, aspects of our personality uh, seemed to carry forward. Our emotional uh, styles, profiles, uh, seemed to carry forward. Our uh, personality, uh, interpersonal approaches, being an extrovert, introvert, and so on, uh, carried forward. And then the most important thing was the creative uh, uh, priorities that each of us have, you know, whether we are a scientific type or we are a sports type or an artistic type, all of these categories that psychologists have managed to identify and document over uh, oh, 50 or 60 years at this point. And so as a psychologist myself, I had been wondering why we are such different people uh, from our siblings, from our parents. Why are we different from the so-called communities that influence the child? Uh, and the evidence shows, of course, that, and more and more evidence is coming out now in the scientific journals, that we have an innate personality that we're born with, and it's evident when we're two and three and four years old. Now, some of the uh, superficial parts of that personality may change depending on where you're working, where you're living, who you're relating to, etc. But the basic core is there. So I decided that we need to have then some sort of uh, experiment to see whether we can uh, develop a level of confidence in the correspondences between past lives and the present lives. And so that started the reincarnation experiment about five years ago, where we got good cases that seemed to be uh, on the surface strong, and then we went deeply into each of the cases, looking at all of these factors, documenting them, and trying to apply the scientific uh, protocols of doing blind testing, because what you have in most of the reincarnation stories that are published, they're uh, very subjective. You know, they, they are based on uh, dreams, on regression sessions that could very well be self-fulfilling prophecies or contaminated by the process that the particular uh, regression therapist uses. And there are a lot of problems uh, with these subjective areas of evidence. So what we decided to do, we'll only deal with uh, material that can be empirically validated. And this is in the physical realm. It's also uh, in the uh, personality realm where you can use objective tests, where you can use third-party evaluations, and uh, where we have material on the uh, alleged past life, because you have to have that on a historical body of material. On so- the, uh, so, for example, so for example, uh, uh, Paul, if uh, let's say someone came to you and said, "Listen, I w- underwent this past life uh, regression, uh, and here's the uh, the cassette of that session," and uh, I don't know, maybe this person, and and I've conducted 
uh, or, or at least hosted uh, past life regression sessions live on the air on this uh, radio station and others. And I've, I mean, I've, I've, I've seen some and heard some absolutely mind-blowing things. And uh, this is coming from someone who's my own uh, spiritual uh, belief system does not allow for a belief in reincarnation. However, I'm sort of still grappling with, you know, what I've seen, what I've read, what I've witnessed, uh, and that belief system. But uh, if someone comes to you and they've got this past life regression session on tape, and uh, perhaps they're even speaking in uh, their, uh, maybe they have a, a, a Midwestern uh, accent, but uh, on the tape they're speaking with a flawless uh, Russian accent, and uh, in this past life, maybe they were a, a you know a tax collector for the Tsar living in St. Petersburg in 1728 or something. They have incredible knowledge of, of St. Petersburg, although they swear up and down they've never been there. They know nothing of that place. Then you go and you take that information, and maybe that person even in, in the session came forward with a name. And what do you do? You, you, check, you check birth records, death certificates, any, any records that are available to verify that this person that they claim to have been actually existed? Is that sort of the process? Well, that, that's that's the process. Now, first of all, you you don't very often have that much detail uh, in a regression session. Uh, you're 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 very fortunate if the person has, uh, you know, dates, names, places, and so on that can be historically validated. But in the case uh, where there are some clues, and I, I call this information clues, uh, what we do is we try to uh, do the validation. Let's, let's take a situation. A woman came to me saying, I had uh, a psychic tell me that I was an uh, uh, engraver in uh, Philadelphia in the early 1800s. Uh, I don't have the full name, but it was uh, something like Helen, uh, and I, I was married to a school teacher, and, you know, uh, that sort of detail. Uh, what we and the person who has this information uh, do, we work together to uh, look for uh, historical information that might have those facts embedded in it. And in this particular case that I'm talking about, we did find uh, a historical person, and there was information. and. Uh, there was even some personal kind of assessments made by, uh, for instance, the, the minister who gave the eulogy at the funeral of this woman when she died, and uh, discussions about relationships with other people and her uh, uh, male friend who uh, she hoped to marry, but they never gotten married in that, in that particular lifetime. So we start with that, and we get as much information as we can uh, from the historical record, and then we do the same workup, of course, on the person today, the subject. And what I do is uh, go through a series of, of tests. One me, is the. Let me just stop the, you there, Paul. We'll, yeah. we'll we'll take a time out for a break. We'll come back, and we'll uh, we'll you'll, we'll get you to walk us through. The, uh, the objectives uh, and the evaluation process, all part of the reincarnation experiment. Paul Von Ward, my guest, author of The Soul Genome. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. 
You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Not sure if you believe in reincarnation, but the idea that there is actually sort of a scientific, investigative, objective, investigative a process underway to validate whether or not someone has had a past life. That, to me, uh, I don't care where your head is parked. That, to me, is is very compelling. And uh, Paul Von Ward is uh, here uh, to tell us all about it. Uh, Paul, as I say, the author of The Soul Genome, Science and Reincarnation. And the website is vonward.com. Von Ward, V-O-N-W-A-R-D. Dot com. And uh, Paul, if you'll indulge me for a moment, I, uh, I do want to get back to the um, you walking us through the reincarnation experiment. But I do have some, uh, some people calling in, and uh, some of them have been waiting a while, so I want to work through a few calls. Are you good for that? Sure. Terrific. Uh, let's say hello to uh, James, who I believe is calling from uh, Vancouver Island, Canada. Hello, James. Jay, Richard. Hey, how are, How are you, you my doing? friend? I'm well. This is a, 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 I happen to know this individual. Uh, we haven't, uh, James, I think the last time you and I talked was probably about 1976. We grew up I in, so, yeah. in Brantford, Ontario uh, many years ago. Uh, many years ago. How are you? I'm doing great, Richard. I'm so happy to talk to you. Finally. So, yes. It's been a long time, my friend. So Yeah, and the topic of the, your uh, show is, uh, I'm totally, uh, yeah, very interesting, yeah. Do you uh, do you believe in reincarnation? Well, you know, it's funny. I read a book uh, a few years ago uh, by Linda Goodman. Uh, it's all about astrology and sort of. Um, I think astrology is pretty much tied into reincarnation. Um, you know how we go through each sign to learn about each uh, person. You know, like experience uh, different traits that people might have, and uh, you know, age of Aquarius. Uh, I don't know if you guys are up on that or right, right. Yeah, have you have you, have mean, you uh, personally? Sort of, uh, Pisces under... is the last sign, which is the mm-hmm. you know my dad was a Pisces, very intuitive kind of person, and um, sort of uh, and my sister's an Aries, so she was the first sign, and she's very uh, you know each sign has kind of a a, a, a stage of um, of a human experience. Uh, Aries being the infant, and Pisces being the old person, so. And I think it's all—it's basically has to do with love, right? Like once you experience everyone's sort of what they've gone through and and uh, go through, you know, each uh, sort of stage of life uh, through, and uh, you know, once we, you know, I, yeah, that's kind of <laughs> kind of deep, I guess. But that's all right. We, yeah, we ask I mean, the big I, questions I, yeah, and explore I mean, the, the, the depths on the show. Things. I mean, I don't know if those guys have ever tried to come to any conclusions, like why. People have these, you know, have these, uh, these, um, you know, they people that you know know Russian or whatever like that. But uh, if they've come to any conclusions of why people, um, in other words, why you're reincarnated as as one individual versus another, that's a, that's a that's a that's a good uh, a good question. And uh, yeah, well, from what I've read in Linda Goodman, I don't know, and it's just it sounds it's feasible to me is that we go through life and we have to experience each. Each sign has a certain, you know, I mean, um, you know, 
Pisces, the age of Pisces is when everyone learns to love each other in the whole world, and we have a perfect utopia, right? So um, age of Aquarius right now is kind of, or not now, but back in the 60s or whatever, is sort of a, the Earth is a, you know, a age of Cancer apparently was when we started to, women started to nurture their children more, you know, back when... Could I, could yes. I sort of... Absolutely. Yeah, the yes. Earth has a, a, a stage two, and so does humans. Like Age of Aries is infant. Uh, I imagine Age of Aries in the world. Okay, let's get, um, James, let's get uh, Paul Von Ward in sure. here to, uh, to comment on, on some of the interesting points that you've just uh, brought up. Paul? Sure. Yeah, I, I, uh, James, I appreciate your uh, comments and uh, interest there. I would like to uh, respond to that, though, by I know Linda Goodman's work and the astrology perspective on reincarnation and so on. But I think uh, one of the things we need to keep in mind is that uh, reincarnation is a natural phenomenon if it is a real phenomenon. In other words, it's a part of nature. It is a phenomenon that affects everybody, that, that the principles that work in, in, a, in a natural way. Yeah, we have a lot of, of evidence from animal kingdom as well as uh, human cases to suggest that it is. And what happens... Uh, when we get areas of evidence about the possibility of reincarnation, then each person who is writing about it uh, takes that evidence and then interprets it in the context of their own worldview. So Linda Goodman took the uh, evidence for reincarnation that we are be talking about in this program and then put it through her lens. And so as an astrologer, she sees it as an astrological phenomenon. Uh, there are people who uh, come to reincarnation from a particular religious perspective, and so they see it as a uh, process that matches their theology. Yeah, I could of, see that, yeah. Of the soul and progress and yeah. punishment and uh, karma. You go back to sure. the earliest yeah. belief systems in Hinduism, uh, where you know, the notion of, of humans had to pass through thousands of reincarnations before they e e merge at the end in Atman and so on. I, I could go on and on with that, but I think you get the point. In other words, uh, it depends on the worldview you start with. And what I'm very much attempting to do in the reincarnation experiment is to say, let's not impose our a priori uh, theology, philosophy, uh, spirituality, on to the evidence. And so I'm suggesting that we try to uh, only work with empirical evidence, that is evidence that uh, we can either measure, we can either see, touch, feel, hear, experience. And then what we're doing is once we have that sort of uh, body of evidence, uh, then we can extrapolate what are its implications for the way we live and what are the implications for human life uh, individually and societally. And in, in the Soul Genome book, I go through this process, and at the end of it, we talk about some of those implications. Uh, but we're still in the stage of trying to reach what I call levels of confidence in 
particular past life matches. And I would just like to make the point as we talk about the evidence and we review a sample case or two, that it really is not necessary that everybody on the planet uh, comes up with a name or two of a particular past life for themselves. What we're trying to do is to demonstrate the evidence for reincarnation and uh, let people then see that all of us are the inheritors of a past life accumulated of many past lives legacy uh, that uh, is the predisposition of the personality that we come with in this lifetime. And we see this in children. Uh, they know, they have a sense of who they are. You, you, we have so many prodigies now because we, we um, have media to uh, make us aware of them. But we have uh, young kids in all fields demonstrating uh, great uh, uh, talent in the arts and science and sports and other areas. Uh, we, we have evidence of, of people with various personality uh, problems, and on the other side, very many personality uh, aspects that are very creative and, and uh, supportive for the community in which they live, and so on. So, so what I'm trying to uh, do is collect enough cases, and we now have scores of cases from around the world. I'm, I'm talking to a guy in Argentina tomorrow, yesterday to a guy in Germany uh, about his case, a very interesting case there. We could talk about that. Uh, but we're just trying to get away from... Uh, James, I don't mean to, you know, cast aspersions on your suggestion, but we want to get away from those kind of subjective uh, elaborations and speculations. All right. Let me uh, thank uh, James out on uh, Vancouver Island for the call and uh, great speaking to a, a long lost friend there. Paul Von Ward, my guest, author of The Soul Genome. We're talking about the reincarnation experiment and uh, if you believe you've had a past life or Perhaps uh, you, you don't believe in reincarnation. Maybe you do. Again, love to uh, get you in on the discussion. 1-866-740-4740. That's toll-free from Thunder Bay to the Carolinas, Maine to Minnesota. 866-740-4740. And uh, here in Toronto, 416-360-0740. Back with more. Stay with us. In a democracy, we elect officials so we can sleep at night. So why are you up? 416-360-0740 or toll-free in Ontario, 1-866-740-4740. Paul Von Ward is with us talking reincarnation. Uh, Paul, one of the things you talk about, physical traits. Uh, and again, we're looking at clues that, uh, that you may have experienced a past life. Physical traits. So if I have a very strong resemblance. Uh, I don't know, let's say I, I look a lot like uh, President John Buchanan, the 15th President of the United States. Uh, not that I do, I've never, but let's say, for example. <laughs> well, I mean, is that a pretty good starting point? Well, 
because of the internet and our ability to put on images and compare them, uh, there are many sites. All you have to do is Google, you know, uh, facial uh, lookalikes, reincarnation, those kind of terms, and you come up with that. Uh, and a lot of people say that's proof of reincarnation. One of the things that we did very early on in the reincarnation experiment was to take a lot of those pairs that have been posted on the Internet, that have been published in different books, and we subjected those uh, pairs of faces to a biometrical analysis. Now, you know, today we have the technology to uh, have a person uh, with his picture in our computer file, and we have that person show up at the security desk of a of the CIA and a camera takes a picture of them and compares the two pictures and says, yes, he's 99% the same. It must be the same person. Let him in. Well, uh, we're not dealing at that level with the pictures and portraits and so on that we have, but what we did was take the, the geometry that's used in that uh, uh, computer software and we took about 10 measurements uh, on each uh, face and you realize when you're talking with portraits or old photographs from the last century, you don't have the same uh, specificity that we have with current digital uh, pictures. But we applied those uh, biometrics, and we developed a, a, a set of variances between the two pictures. And then we, we had uh, several hundred of these uh, pairs uh, Many of them just picked randomly off the Internet or pictures from books. It didn't matter. They were just picked at random by different people. And we did an analysis of the uh, biometric variance between the strongest cases that we had and the, and the uh, random samples that we had off the Internet. And we found that uh, we could distinguish... Uh, between the strong cases, by that I mean they had correspondences, verifiable, and all of those factors that we were talking about earlier. Uh, and you can distinguish them. But what we found is that most of these lookalikes that you see on the Internet didn't meet that standard. So that said to us that being a lookalike uh, is... Uh, irrelevant uh, by itself to a reincarnation case. But when we find that there's a variance of only 1%, 2%, even 3%, and sometimes up to 4%, uh, that uh, indicates that it's worth going the next step to look at then the rest of the body type uh, in terms of uh, bone uh, proportions, in terms of of hair patterns and and uh, uh, the overall body type, and then it, if that still seems to hold up, then we uh, also look at all of the other personality types. And in fact, I've gotten to the point now that I've reversed it, that I look first at the personalities uh, than the physical, uh, because uh, we, we could only say in the physical uh, biometric analyses that we did, 
we could only reach a level of correspondence or a level of confidence in the correspondences between the two sets of pictures. Uh, and we could only say, well, there's so many chances out of a thousand that it could not be attributed to chance. And that only gives you a level of statistical confidence. Sure, sure. But so I mean, does, does it necessarily, sorry, but does it necessarily follow that, uh, that you must look like Napoleon uh, if in fact you were, I, I mean, I'm, that's, that's the obvious example, obviously, but, sure, but, but no. if you, because you could be reincarnated, uh, uh, as a woman and, and uh, as a, as a black woman and have been Napoleon in a previous life, could you not? Well, that, there is a good bit of evidence, um, in the cases that Stevenson collected and others that, uh, have been collected by a number of us researchers to suggest that races can change, uh, sex can change, but that that uh, genotype uh, bone architecture carries forward. Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. Let that's, me grab a quick call here, and uh, let's sure. say hello to uh, John is in New Jersey this evening. Hello, John. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Yeah, thank you for taking my call. Um, I had a uh, an incident where I, I had some sort of black magic put upon me, and... Uh, it threw me to the ground. I felt a choking sensation. Um, but apart from this, I, I realized that during this process, it, this had been done to me before, but I could not remember where in this lifetime that this had been done, but I knew it had been done. All right. And so you suspect that you may have had, in, in fact, a past life experience. That's, having listened to you guys just now, I, that, yes, that did cross my mind. Uh, so, uh, Paul, what would be the next step? Would John uh, perhaps go to a past life regression therapist? Or, Well, uh, I think that uh, you can, you know, speculate that this, uh, a memory like that uh, could be a past life memory. Uh, I've had a number of people, you know, over the years uh, report being in a particular square. I had a case of the person who was walking down a hallway in the Vatican uh, some years ago, and looked out in a courtyard there and saw himself being burned at the stake. Uh, so, you know, we have these kinds of flashbacks. I think that they are suggestive of reincarnation, but I think a specific event like that uh, is only a clue. Now, if our caller would like to, uh, you know, explore this further, one of the ways of searching for more clues is through past life regressions. Uh, if you can find a good person who uh, is uh, very uh, careful about the procedures that are used, that uh, knows how to work you through the steps so that you don't uh, uh, get too quickly on the same path. I, I, I'm thinking of a case right now where a uh, person was in a past life regression session, and uh, he had been reading a lot about World War II, and he had a lot of ideas about people in World War II, and the uh, regression therapist said, uh, you know, go to your previous lifetime. He did, and he started giving a set of images, and the uh, therapist said, uh, well, what is the name of that person, that image that you see of this man coming down the stairs. And this person flipped out a name, and the uh, 
therapist said, okay, well now, uh, what was your wife's reaction to that, and, and why did you behave this way vis-a-vis this historical figure who was an important person in that particular past life? And so what he did was he, uh, the therapist not being uh, very professional in his approach, simply reinforced this flash that came into the person's mind. Right, very the power of suggestion. In, in power essence. of suggestion and reinforcement of this sort of self-fulfilling prophecy. So he went through the rest of the whole session. And then another, uh, when I had that case, that I have a, a colleague who uh, is a uh, good uh, analyst and, and therapist to uh, check up on my uh, assessment. So we had uh, uh, two people assessing that particular session, and uh, both of us concluded that it uh, was not a very good uh, start in this person trying to explore his past lives. So he was willing that to have us work on his case for several months. And we began to get a lot of other information from him and, and the clues that he had. Uh, we ended up finding what I think is likely to be the case, that he was the reincarnation of a person who happened to be uh, somewhere uh, in the inner circle or the uh, community of people who were involved with that first person that he named. And the reason he named that person is because he was the most famous person in the group, uh, and we call this sort of a landmark case. You know, somebody gets uh, the idea that they are somebody because they uh, have a, an image in their mind of, you know, Thomas Jefferson because he's on every... Uh, sure, sure. I mean, I'm sure there did. must be somebody out there who was, in fact, I mean, everybody claims that they were Napoleon in a past life, but there's probably one individual out there who is, in fact... Uh, the reincarnation of Napoleon. Statistically, I mean, it has to be somebody. Uh, uh, Paul, let me uh, let me grab another quick call here, uh, okay. and uh, let's say hello to. I think Carrie is calling from Hamilton. If I'm not Hamilton, mistaken. I'm calling from Hamilton. All right, welcome to the Conspiracy Show, Carrie. You're on the line with Paul Von Ward. Oh, you guys are so like. I gotta tell you, Richard, a longtime listener, and a special hello to your guests. Please and thank you. All right, thank you. Go ahead. Um, can you hear me nice? Is, is, is it, am I talking too loud? Like you're in the next room, Carrie. Go ahead. Okay. Well, I'd like to tell you, first of all, that I'm a Catholic, born and raised, and um, it's, you can't, uh, you, you guys got, the, you hit the nail on the head. It's hard to believe in something that you know, like that boy. I heard your show about the boy. And it's so true, like, we do reincarnate, it's, and now you're coming up with, like, evidence that it's obvious, like, the obvious. I'm a huge fan, obviously. Um, and uh, give a kiss to your kids, Roy. <laughs> now, um, I'm, I was writing notes down. Sorry, I'm a little bit nervous. You know what it's like on being live on the air. That's all right. You're just talking to friends over the back fence. Don't worry. Oh, no. This is like, Richard, this is your best show ever. I'm so impressed with your guests. Hello, Paul. Um, oh, nice to hear um, you. Uh, 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 Richard and I are struggling being like, what are we, Catholic Buddhists? 
<laughs> yeah, it's it's become sort of an amalgam. I mean, yes, I, I come uh, from the Orthodox politi- Christian. Uh, politically correct? Is, am I correct? You you can you can go both ways. That's faith, right? It's uh, whatever you know that is true is true. All right. So, uh, ca- however, so Carrie, however, as a as a Catholic who believes in reincarnation, uh, how did you arrive at this? I mean, have you had a past life experience? Oh, no, I have not, except I'm really down with uh, AM740. Like, I don't, I listen, well, I listen to Psychedelic Sunday all day. That's good stuff to know, Carrie. Thank you. Uh, Let's say hello to uh, Doug in Indiana. I wonder if Carrie was a prank caller in a previous life, too. (laughs) (laughs) Doug is in Indiana tonight. Uh, uh, Welcome aboard, Doug. Yeah, I'd like to give my interpretation on what I think reincarnation. A lot of people think it is, or what uh, what uh, they they actually think they're reincarnated. But I think a lot of it probably has to do with the subconscious mind taking in information that they generally forgot about, but it's still retained in the mind. And later on, this information comes out like you know, I've been here before, but that might have been they just was. Uh, watching a TV show, documentary show or something about some trip out west or something, and uh, the mind can still take in information even though it's asleep. And uh, when they sit there and the subconscious lets this out, they may think that, hey, I was here at one time, I've had a past life. And, And I just think a lot of it has to do with just the mind's ability to take in all this unseen information, and it just gradually lets it out. And it just, you know, mischief, just uh, miss uh, a misfiring neuron, perhaps. Yeah, misfiring neurons. Doug, I think that's a, I think that's a valid point, and would probably go away, go a long ways in explaining many so-called past life experiences, Paul. And that's why we need to have, uh, and that's why the reincarnation experiment is really focusing only on. Uh, empirical information, that is, information, you know, that we can document in the past life, in the present life, or if we can't document it, at least we get somebody who's a third party saying, yes, I remember that person uh, when he first had that memory, and this is what the situation was, and so on. So we try to get, uh, using uh, uh, a process of independent verification are blind evaluations of the material so that the person doesn't know much about the person that they are evaluating. Uh, we do this in the physical measurements and we do it in the personality measurements and we also have people uh, give us, you know, they give us samples of their writing, they give us samples of their work, they give us evaluations from their teachers, our professors, our uh, employer evaluations, and we get all kinds of documentation uh, in these cases, and it takes a long time to to work up the case. But uh, our interest is not the number of cases that we do. We're not trying to churn them out uh, every day. We're trying to demonstrate that we can, uh, in a very definitive way, show correspondences. I'm I'm working on a case case now of a person who is a poet in this lifetime who believes that she was uh, reincarnated 
as a poet in a previous lifetime. Paul, let me uh, stop you there. When we come back, maybe we'll take a look at one of those illustrative cases, perhaps uh, artist Peter Teekamp. Uh, we can uh, delve into that. Doug in Indiana, thank you for your call. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show here on AM740. We deal in illusions, man. None of it is true. But you people sit there day after day, night after night, all ages, colors, creeds. We're all you know. You're beginning to believe the illusions we're spinning here. You're beginning to think that the tube is reality and that your own lives are unreal. You do whatever the tube tells you. You dress like the tube. You ate like the tube. You raise your children like the tube. You even think like the tube. This is mass madness, you maniacs. In God's name, you people are the real thing. We are the illusion. So turn off your television sets. Turn them off now. Turn them off right now. Turn them off and leave them off. Turn them off right in the middle of the sentence I'm speaking to you now. Turn them off. Brainwashed in our childhood. Brainwashed by the school. Brainwashed by our teachers. And brainwashed by all the rules. Brainwashed by our leaders. Live from Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Paul Von Ward is with us, author of The Soul Genome, and we're talking about the reincarnation experiment now five years uh, into their work. Uh, tell me about the uh, what you describe as one of the most credible self-researched reincarnation cases of significant historical figures, a Peter T. Camp. Tell me about that. Well, Peter T. Camp is a case that uh, started in his own life uh, back in the 1970s. Uh, he uh, was told, he, Peter T. Camp in this lifetime is a well-known international artist, uh, but uh, he was told by three different people back in the 70s that, uh, you know, you're the reincarnation of Paul Gauguin. And uh, that got him to looking into his uh, uh, research, uh, trying to develop some sense of who this guy Paul Gauguin was, because he, even though he's a well-developed professional painter in this lifetime, he hadn't really been interested in historical uh, uh, masters, and uh, he uh, started digging into Paul Gauguin's paintings and discovered that Paul, uh, Paul Gauguin hid his own face and small parts of, its, of his paintings, and uh, Peter T. Camp had been doing the same thing uh, uh, unconsciously in his own painting. So this started a process. It went uh, on for uh, a couple of decades, and then he finally met a woman in uh, um, California who was helping him uh, do uh, research uh, on uh, marketing his paintings, and and he told her about the idea that he might have been the reincarnation of Paul Gauguin. And he said, you look like Met Gauguin, who was Paul Gauguin's wife. So the two of them together started developing a case, uh, and other researchers uh, uh, weighed in on it uh, and uh, helped promote their uh, research and information and get it out there. And uh, I was introduced to him and uh, started talking to him about it and about our 
uh, reincarnation experiment, uh, which was a different process than anything he had done uh, in his own research that he and Met had. Uh, that is Michel, who was the possible reincarnation of Met Gauguin, and uh, other researchers. Uh, the guy I mentioned earlier, Walter Simq, and others, uh, because it was such a uh, self-evident. A good case in terms of the facial features, the personalities, and and uh, a lot of the uh, phases that they went through in their respective lives. Gauguin, as I, if I remember, uh, I, I I remember reading a, a book by Somerset Mom, which I think was sort of vaguely uh, biographical of Gauguin. I think it was called right. the, the Moon and Sixpence. And Gauguin was a very angry young man, was he not? Uh, well. Uh, I, I wouldn't say an angry young man. As a young man, he was a, uh, uh, you know, working in, in the banking uh, financial uh, world after he'd been uh, sort of aroused about uh, going to sea and doing some other things. And he only got into painting in his mid-twenties. And uh, then he uh, uh, started uh, his own uh, development as a painter and breaking uh, the mold, as it were, uh, and in fact, in doing that, uh, uh, following his own path, had to leave his wife and kids uh, uh, separate, and uh, they had to go back to Denmark and where the wife, his wife, met, came from, and so uh, then he, you know, was involved in uh, with uh, other other painters, Van Gogh, and and others mm-hmm. who were breaking away from the. The conventional styles. Any parallels in T camp's uh, development or life in that in uh, that regard? Uh, well, very much uh, so in the sense of his personality, as uh, the, they were similar in their uh, teens and twenties. Uh, except that the difference was that uh, Peter Decamp started uh, drawing portraits when he was in. School and about at about age five and six, starting about twenty years earlier than Paul Gauguin started in his lifetime, but he was uh, equally uh, talented. He he developed a style which was quite different, but uh, the the way they lived their lives, uh, their their personalities, and and as you say, uh, not so much an angry young man, uh, but Peter also is he. he he has to travel and and go elsewhere to do his work. He, he can't settle down in one place, which is what uh, uh, Paul Gauguin uh, did in his life. Uh, Peter's uh, relationship to his wife and children are very much like the uh, experience that Met Gauguin had with Paul Gauguin. Uh, Peter's relationship with uh, other artists and and so on, uh, it's very similar. So after he and uh, Michel Moshe, his uh, partner in this project, uh, started working with me, we've, we've collected so much information now about their personality traits, and uh, both of them have been following paths very similar. Uh, Peter T. Camp tried suicide as uh, Paul Gauguin tried, tried suicide, as an example. Uh, so what we see in the case like this is is a follow-on from one life to the other of 
basic personality traits, basic uh, creative talents. It doesn't mean that you live exactly the same way, paint the same way, or do music the same way, or whatever your, your talent is. Uh, but, but the basic artistic personality, the, uh, the, uh, the iconoclastic uh, uh, approach to the establishment, to other art, uh, other artists, uh, that's in both of these, and uh, there, there are many more you know, details that one could uh, describe there, but that's a good example of, of uh, both uh, the physical and the personality uh, correspondences between these two lifetimes. We'll get back to uh, Peter T. Camp in a minute and uh, maybe explore some other uh, illustrative cases with Paul Von Ward, uh, the reincarnation experiment. Let's get to uh, Virginia, who's been very patient on the line uh, in Caster near Niagara Falls. Hello, Virginia. Good morning. Hi. Well, I've been waiting for you. We've had a re- very bad rainstorm. Well, we've been getting uh, some of that uh, out this way too often on this evening. So. Okay. I am... Um... Before I tell you my, what I wanted to ask, I was very much, as a child, documented into my previous life, so much so that Virginia University asked that I be sent there to be researched, but my mother wouldn't let me. Oh, that's interesting. Now, when I was traveling, I went into four lives very strongly and several not strong. When I was traveling around Europe with some friends, I had very interesting experiences. For once, I, I took them to this place, and they didn't know where we were going. And it turned out to be the catechisms. And I went in and I said, this is wrong. I can't smell the smell of uh, candles. And I can't see them flickering. And I get fresh air. And it's too light. And they told me they had done renovations to make this so. And how did I know? Then when I was going to Marseille, I was telling them about this church. And we were told if the bells rang, we had to run over the... Um, bridge, drawbridge, and go downstairs where they had preservatives for us. But there was ships floating on the, on the, in, this, in this church, and I couldn't understand that. So when we got there, um, there was a drawbridge, and there were models of ships that were tied down so you could stand on the seats and look at them, all the ships that had been in the bay. And when I said to them, where's the door that we had to run down when the bell went? And they said, how did you know that? Because... It's a small way up and a small way down. We can't take tourists, so we don't tell them about it. How did you know? Another time, um, I took them to um, a place in Sicily uh, where they didn't want to go, and I went there, and it was all about a previous life, and it was, I was a monk, and I was, um, we were bottling water, and I told them all about things, and they, again, how did you know that? So I've had experiences in this life, taking people to that life and questioning things. How could Virginia uh, get involved in the reincarnation experiment, Paul? She sounds like a possible candidate. Well, she sounds uh, like she has uh, had a lot of experiences similar to many of our cases. Uh, One of the cases that is not our case, but uh, uh, an example of one of the self-published, self-developed cases is uh, that of Barbara Carlin, who is uh, likely to be the reincarnation of Anne Frank. And uh, she had uh, memories of locations, uh, had uh, uh, the ability to find her way around uh, Amsterdam in the Netherlands to get to the place where Anne Frank and her family were hidden away during the war, uh, even though she was only 12 years old and was born in Sweden and never been there. 
uh, inside the room. She had uh, uh, information about the room as it had been before the group arrived there. Uh, she said where are the posters on the wall, and uh, there were no posters there, and uh, her mother tried to shush her up, and uh, the guide said, oh, well, we took them down last week because we were going to make uh, frames for them to preserve them. So these kinds of experiences are all uh, very uh, suggestive of past lives. Uh, as we talked earlier in the in the program, uh, it is possible for us to have access to this kind of information and these kinds of memories without being uh, particularly a reincarnation experience. We may be picking it up uh, out of uh, the uh, superconscious uh, memory pools that are available to all of us. And so, in Virginia's case, uh, uh, there would be. Uh, the challenge of, of trying to document some of these possible past lives and be able to uh, compare something about uh, the individuals, if they could be identified, to see if there's uh, a reasonable link between the two lifetimes. Uh, one of the cases that we're working on now to be published uh, in the next, uh, next book that we do is looking at what we call a trajectory of uh, past lives. Uh, we don't know that they're all uh, valid past lives, but we have from different sources, from psychics and channels and from intuition and from empirical evidence, uh, a, a whole different series of, of uh, different lifetimes. And what we're doing in that case is to try to look at them to see what the threads are, what the themes are that might uh, demonstrate the integrity of a soul going through an evolutionary process uh, over many, many lifetimes. We, Virginia might uh, be interested in something like that. All right. Virginia, thank you for the call. Uh, Paul, we, we mentioned earlier the, the, uh, the fascinating case of James Leninger. This is a, uh, a child who, I guess uh, this came to light about six years ago, and uh, he was having these horrible uh, nightmares of uh, going down in a, in a fiery plane crash. And eventually it, it came to light that um, uh, he was remembering, allegedly remembering the, the past, his past life as a James Houston Jr., who was a, um, a, a U.S. naval pilot who went down in the Japanese theater back in World War II. Uh, has... Or is Leninger part of the research experiment? Uh, and uh, answer, yeah, uh, go ahead. Uh. No, no, well, he's not a part of our experiment at all. He, his family, his parents, did uh, most of the original uh, research, and then they uh, involved a woman named Carol Bowman, who has uh, had experience and uh, uh, works in the area of childhood memories, starting out with some memories that her own children had when they were very young. And then uh, the man at the University of Virginia who has taken Ian Stevenson's uh, role, <clears throat> following up on the work that they've done there for, as I said, for the last 40 years, his name is Jim Tucker. He's a child psychiatrist like uh, yeah, I've talked to Jim. Uh, a colleague of ours. Uh, uh, we collaborate when we have overlapping interests, but he has also uh, 
worked with the Leninger uh, case to document those memories as a part of their, they specialize in the childhood memories uh, evidence area. What do you make of the, the Leninger case? I mean, this to me uh, uh, almost seems too good to be true in terms of uh, an, an example. Here you have a young boy who remembers this past life, but we have we now have a name for this person, uh, James Houston Jr. Then they're able to take this boy to meet the the living family members of, of James Houston Jr. and is able to share information about James Houston Jr. that only they would know. I mean, it's just, this has to be, if true, one of the most, uh, I don't know, compelling or documented cases of, of a remembered past life ever. I, oh, no, I, I would agree with that. Uh, now, if you go back into the cases already collected by that uh, division at the University of Virginia under Ian Stevenson, there are many, many cases like that. Uh, but they were collected, you know, uh, in over the last 40 years. It's only recently uh, that we have the ability in our media, you know, with YouTube and the television and all of the, uh, all of the documentation that we have now. Uh, it, it, it seems more... Uh, I mean, it is very compelling. I don't mean to detract from that, but I'm just saying that it is not unique. There are hundreds of cases uh, just as good as that one where individual information is available and has been documented and verified. But uh, because it deals with, you know, the United States and World War II and and uh, was such a uh, compellingly presented uh, case that I think it's helping a lot of people understand that there's something real going on here. And it's very hard to make a criticism of that case along the lines that I have been making about a lot of the cases that are very subjective or that have problems in them with the way the data was collected or, you know, the, the uh, fact that uh, it was sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Everybody was... Uh, getting together to create the same story, uh, either consciously or unconsciously. In this case, you had none of that. So it is a very powerful case. Bob is in Philadelphia. Bob, welcome to The Conspiracy Show, AM 740. Hey, guys. How you doing? Well, thank you. I was in my truck, and uh, I heard you I heard you talking about... I heard you mention a boy, and I was wondering, because I, I, I just caught a little bit of it, and then I kind of came inside, and I was going to see if you guys were talking about James Langer. Absolutely, yes. It's a, it's a fascinating case. The thing is, um, now, uh, Paul, I got a lot of books. I got a lot of books. I don't have your book. What, is, are you new on the scene with this? Or I know, I well, I don't you... think so. The the, the book came out. Uh, and, well, it's a about two and a half years out. Oh no, that's totally cool. What's the What's the name of your book? It's called the Soul Genome. Okay. And reincarnation. Excellent. And have you, have you, the crazy suggest, thing is the uh, Langer case, as you guys were talking about. Yeah. It's amazing yeah. because. It's so innocent. The parents totally didn't believe it. They're educated people, and that's the fascinating thing about it. They didn't. They didn't believe that at all. No, uh, there the was no. Was, he was no just so young. There of this being hooked up or somebody encouraging it to happen. Yeah. It was one if of the. If you ever, natural. if you ever want to go on, it just says Soul Survivor Coast to Coast. You know, Coast to Coast AM Radio. You can watch it on YouTube, and you sit and watch these parents go. You know, point for point when the kid was a young kid. You know, he was he was saying Bombay when he was like seven months old, he did, and, and more specific points, and then he knew one after another, and the father was like, 
a conservative CEO, he had no reason to to support this. Quite to the contrary, you know. But he was blown away or as as the Navy started feeding him in detailed information about this case. He he, he just was shocked, and you could see the parents are, you know, they're very honest. I had gone to a Carol Bowman um, seminar, and she was talking about the case because the parents, though she didn't really work with them with it, like because she had written Past Lives of Children, and um, they were. Um, you know, they inquired about his night terrors, and she just said, "Just watch him. You know, wa- watch him, see how he develops, and just work with it." Sure. Well, this but is. Have you point. ever studied Edgar Casey? I mean, Edgar, you know, Edgar Casey's got the past life readings and the medical readings. That's where it kind of all starts. Just the well, Edgar Casey is just that's, a that's another. That's another category of of research. I mean, you have to keep in mind that there are different uh, approaches to this, and. Uh, what is missing uh, in the field of reincarnation studies is uh, the uh, use of uh, scientific methodology to attempt to uh, validate the material and do it in such a way that people can, uh, who are skeptical, who are uh, wary of, you know, too many uh, uh, people who are, developing cases for their own, uh, you know, publicity and and getting attention. And this is what we're trying to do in the reincarnation experiment. We're trying to deal with uh, only uh, material that can be verified and that can be uh, tested by third parties who have no vested interest in whether that person is the reincarnation of X, Y, or Z. And so if you want to learn more about this, go to the website, www.reincarnationexperiment.org, and you'll see the uh, explanations of the process that we're following, some of the cases we're working on, and, uh, of course, the Soul Genome Book has a number of cases and illustrations. I just think we ought to make a point here that uh, when we think about reincarnation and we study it from a scientific point of view, we have to uh, make the assumption that we're dealing with something that is a real natural phenomenon in the universe, that it's not something that is a airy-fairy spiritual uh, uh, belief system. Uh, We're dealing with it as a natural phenomenon. That's a a good point. And, and, uh, Paul, maybe when we come back, we can talk a little bit about what you believe to be the sort of the, the process of, of reincarnation. You talk I, about I, something called the, 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 I think it's called the psychoplasm. We can maybe get in. Psychoplasm or soul genome. Yeah. yeah, let's talk about that because this puts, this puts the process in, in a bigger picture of what we're learning about the universe. We'll do that when we come back. Paul Von Ward, The Reincarnation Experiment, all part of tonight's Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. All right, uh, Paul Von Ward, let's talk uh, specifically about the the mechanics, if you will, of reincarnation. If it is a natural process, just a natural part of, of uh, uh, life uh, in the universe, then yeah, how does it happen? Let's let's start with the assumption that reincarnation is real. So if it is real, what is its purpose in the universe as a whole? And uh, 
I'm suggesting that the process of reincarnation is a part of the overall evolutionary principle in the universe. Now, I've written another book some years ago, Our Solarian Legacy, which is a cosmology uh, a way of looking at the universe based on uh, you know, the quantum theory that we're now dealing with, based on our understanding of neuroscience and genetics and so on. In other words, the, the emerging scientific model. So in that cosmology, reincarnation serves the purpose of preserving learning, preserving the evolution of consciousness in all species. So reincarnation is not something that just happens to humans. It happens at all species levels. And in the book, I quote some of the studies uh, where we look at insects and other animals to uh, see the same sort of procedure happening that we seem to uh, be able to document in human reincarnation. So how how does then reincarnation fit into the big picture? And this is where I get a little bit cosmological uh, by saying that if our universe is what it appears to be, which is that it is a conscious organism with a directionality to it, which means increasing complexity, which means experimentation and evolution and survival of the fittest, not in the Darwinian sense, but in the sense that species who learn how to grow and develop themselves and uh, expand their potential, expand their abilities to be creative with their opportunities of living, and how do we preserve that from generation to generation? Because you see, nature itself doesn't have computers and libraries and floppy disk and so on, that's an artifact of our level of, of development as humans. But take us as beings, as organic species, there needs to be a way for what we learn in one lifetime to be preserved so that it's not lost. Otherwise, we'd be starting every generation anew, and the universe doesn't work that way. So what I'm suggesting is that reincarnation is the uh, equivalent of Einstein's formula, E equals mc squared, which means that you can't destroy energy, you can change it from one form to the other. So reincarnation is the same uh, for consciousness. Consciousness is not destroyed. It may be converted from one form to the other. It may be in an incarnate form in one moment in time, and it may be in a disincarnate form or disembodied form uh, at another point in time and back into incarnate form. This gets us into quantum physics and and the way uh, the quantum plenum works, where uh, quantum energy come in and out of Uh, existence in terms of the material existence. So we humans are part of that same process, and reincarnation is a part of it. Now, obviously, we've put a uh, human interpretation on it based on our religious views, based on our uh, limited spiritual understanding of how the universe works in its many multiple dimensions. 
but I think we're beginning to understand that consciousness is not something dependent on the physical body, that consciousness is a uh, field uh, which has several aspects. It can be uh, subconscious, it can be consciousness, which is more or less our physical body, emotional kind of consciousness, and then there's super consciousness, which is the realm of what we've been talking about when we were talking about uh, telepathy and precognition and intuition and communicating with uh, conscious entities and other dimensions and that sort of thing. So reincarnation is at the core of our existence as conscious beings in a self-learning, self-evolving universe. But what, are, I mean, are there of, rules? I mean, what, what uh, governs who or what I will be in my next life? Well, I don't think we know. We have a lot of, uh, you know, speculation. People have reported uh, regression sessions and so on, but we, did, we have no way of proving whether any of those are valid or not, or if some of them are valid, which are and which are not, because there's such variety. But it does appear that there is some level of conscious uh, awareness at all time uh, for each individuated conscious entity. So I'm saying we as individual humans have a soul genome, which is uh, not only the physical genes, but this energetic information genome. And uh, so the, the, the rules are that uh, just as we, uh, on this life, uh, we choose to become engaged with different people. We choose to uh, become members or participants in various groups. So at a conscious level, we are changing our, our places, our roles, and I would think the same sort of thing is happening uh, in this uh, in-between incarnation period where the, the, what we would call the superconsciousness of the soul genome is interacting, and we're doing that probably simultaneously as we're talking on this show. We're communicating with others at that superconscious level, and when our body is no longer uh, constraining our consciousness, then that same sort of choice, and there's a concept in reincarnation research called soul cohorts, so that you, you find uh, when you can identify a person's present and past life connections, you may find other people close to that person who have been in previous lifetimes with that person. It's sort of a family, a soul group, you know, the concept of soul mates even. So my, my, my son, uh, two sons, one of them could have been, in fact, uh, my father in yes, a previous uh -huh. life. But how does that, how does that square with the, the Leninger case where uh, this young boy was... Uh, in a previous life, a World War II naval fighter. Uh, I mean, there's no... Is there a soul cohort effect there? Well, there, there, there probably are cohorts. What we have now are quite a number of cases of people who were uh, connected one way or the other through World War II. Uh, some of them who were Germans in a previous lifetime seem to be Americans in this lifetime. People who were French in the last last uh, lifetime in World War II, are incarnated in America today. Uh, someone in Sweden, uh, 
uh, it was incarnated from a person who was uh, in Germany. Uh, so it, you don't. It's not always you know family to family, group to group. There there is a dispersion, but I think what happens if we think about this energetically, uh, like attracts like. So uh, soul genomes, the psychoplasm is sort of a scientific word for this energetic biofield that we call the hologram or the soul. Uh, it, it, it resonates and is attracted to various groups. And so I would say that something happens uh, along those lines, that there is choice. I have a case in my little town here in North Georgia uh, where a couple of kids, twins, are probably the reincarnations of their great-grandfather and the great-grandfather's brother. But it doesn't always happen that way. Uh, you can have uh, a person reincarnated in Chicago who had a previous lifetime in India. Uh, so it's, it, it seems to work on the basis of resonance uh, between the the energy patterns that we have and our you know our personalities are nothing but uh, unique energy patterns in terms of our emotions in terms of what makes us happy the kinds of things that interest us the things that we're attracted to the people that we're attracted to in fact in fact we're speculating a little bit about the physical uh, features if we use biometrics uh, to compare past life to present life uh, we have the facial features and that sort of thing. But one of the other genetically stable things appears to be odor. Hmm. So, uh, you know, we've had this discussion a few years ago about pheromones and how we're attracted to each other by uh, unique patterns of pheromones that bring two people together. Uh, the same thing may happen in these soul cohorts, you know. You recognize a person from a previous life, uh, not uh, necessarily uh, by visual means before uh, you recognize them by their odor. So in other words, the, the reincarnation may go a, uh, some way or a long ways in explaining why certain people are attracted to each other because they were they are soul cohorts. So, uh, they are, in fact, soulmates. Yes. Well, that's, that's right. We, I don't know whether it's sort of a self-selection process or whether we're all, uh, you know, uh, fooling ourselves, but I'm, I'm a part of... Uh, a group of people who, over the years, uh, have sort of identified themselves to each other, where we think that we've all been in, um, you know, uh, incarnations in a previous lifetime where we were uh, all together, not not in the same roles that we now have, not in the same uh, birth order, or the, you know, some of the people who were younger are now older, and vice versa, but but it just seems that that works out. Now, the charge that can be made by my uh, scientific skeptics is say, oh, you're just making it up and you're seeing what you want to see. And so what I'm trying to do, and with the colleagues that work with me in the reincarnation experiment, we're trying to, you know, get beyond the subjective and actually look for the empirical data. And, uh, that's, I think what we'll be able to do with this experiment is that uh, we'll be able to uh, ground this 
rather ethereal concept of reincarnation uh, and ground it in day, daily re- reality, the, the way we live, the way we react to situations, the way we react to other people. All of these things are not the same from lifetime to lifetime, but the underlying core, the underlying patterns of who we are seem to carry forward. There's evolution, but there's also regression. I'm working on a case right now that uh, I feel that the uh, evidence suggests, both the physical and uh, psychological uh, and creative abilities uh, criteria, suggests that a person had a lifetime 150 years ago where that person's uh, talents were very well expressed, was uh, at a high level of performance, and in this lifetime is the same talents are there, the same inclinations are there, the same personality is there, but because of uh, family and cultural circumstances uh, got into drugs, got into uh, addictive behaviors that uh, just uh, diminished that uh, talent and the and the level of consciousness that was being developed in the previous lifetime. And so, you know, the, there's this old con- uh, concept of karma, which once again has been made into many things, depending on your religion or your spiritual orientation and so on. I believe karma is what the original word was meant to indicate, which is it's just the result of actions, uh, the effect of action. So... If we behave a particular way in one lifetime and we don't uh, make much progress, then we are going to have to start again in the next lifetime uh, working on that. All right. Let's, uh, uh, sorry, let's um, uh, grab a couple of calls here. Marie is in Toronto. And uh, Marie, we welcome you to The Conspiracy Show. You're on the line with Paul Von Wart. Hi. How are you guys? Well, thank you. Good. I agree with everything he's saying. Um, I found out I had divine uh, intervention happen, and um, years later, I found out um, that I had a past life, and then I found out I had a, another one, and uh, this uh, the second one was given to me by a spiritual painter from um, Buffalo, New York. I forget her name, but I have her down in my phone book, and uh, she gave me um, uh, where I was born, uh, the year. She gave me my uh, birth name. She told me who I marry, um, uh, where I moved to in the United States. Uh, she gave me my married name, and she gave me the year I died. And um, I, I know of seven altogether. Uh, and uh, my friend who was psychic, who gave me the first one, uh, told me that I have three of my past lives are with me today in this life to help me with what I have to do. And um, uh, I, I, I completely agree with uh, everything he's saying, and um, I, I, really, I really believe in, in all of it. And she, uh, she also told me I'd been around since 30 A.D. Hmm. Uh, who were you, uh, the, the spiritual artist in Buffalo that uh, told you who you were? And uh, I mean, who were you? Was it, were you... Uh... She told me... Um, she told me my my name, um, my birth name was Angelina Della Rosa, and um, she gave me the year. I was I think it's uh, seventeen 
uh, 47. I wrote an 800-page book, and a lot of it had to do with it. And did and, any, I mean, did any of these uh, does, these uh, characteristics of this Angelina Della Rosa did that explain anything about who you are in this life? Well, it was funny because she said that I was a nun for 10 years. Um, and um, actually, I haven't had sex for 12. <laughs> and, <laughs> Thank um, you for sharing. <laughs> yeah. And she told me that um, I used to write Bibles. You know, in those days, I guess that's what nuns did. And she said, I used to do beautiful art, uh, artwork and that I would scroll all the pages. And, you know, it didn't really hit me when I was, uh, she was doing my painting. But then after going home, I started thinking about it. And I'm like, Oh my God, when I was in like school, grade school, I would just naturally scroll climbing roses over every single uh, headline that I had in a report or scrolling vines. It was something I just did naturally all the time. Could, just, could I say that that's a very important point you're making there? Because what we ask people to do. Uh, in this uh, collection of evidence is to go back to their earliest personalities, their early years. And in fact, we don't even take any evidence from people uh, for the period in their life after they have come to the point of believing in reincarnation in a particular lifetime. We look at for that, we're looking for that early, uh, you know, uh, spontaneous uh, impulse to behave uh, at a very young age or at any other time when it's not uh, calculated, you know, to... Oh, did we lose Paul there? Are you there, Paul? Yo, you know, oh, that's... sorry. Okay, uh, thank you for the call uh, from Toronto, uh, Marie. Uh, I, um, for the longest, uh, for as long as I can remember, I've had this incredible aversion to having my fingers bent backwards. And I don't mean in an uncomfortable way where they're being sort of wrenched backwards. Uh, I just, it, you know, even the lightest pressure by someone uh, uh, in a backwards motion against my fingers, it just, I cannot, I can't take it. My wife kids me about it. She said, you know, she says I'm very skittish. And um, I'm wondering about, uh, uh, you know, how many of our, our um, I don't know, foibles or, or that can be, in fact, uh, because I know that past life regression therapy is being used increasingly sort of in mainstream psychology and, you, and, and the, the practitioner doesn't even necessarily need to believe in reincarnation, nor does the patient. But right. once you experience a past life, apparently you can sort of get to the bottom of some of these things uh, uh, and, and work through it. I mean, how does that work? Well, this is part of the carryover, you see, of, of past life memories. When we use the word memory... You're usually talking about, you know, I remember this, I remember that. But what I'd, the point I'd like to make is that what we carry forward in terms of memory are body memories, uh, emotional memories, uh, movement memories. It's just like a ballet dancer, you know, after so many years of dancing ballet, has uh, muscle memories. So what, what we do is to take forward from one lifetime to the other, the accumulated experience of memories in all aspects of ourselves. So some feeling in your hand connected to an emotional feeling is a part of that memory pool. And it makes, it makes sense. We have a lot of people who have these kinds of things. And it can be at a level of a phobia, 
you know, where a person is afraid of this kind of situation or afraid of crowds or afraid of being uh, driving in the rain at, in the dark. That's obviously not human, <laughs> but, you know, other people might have that fear. So these carry forward as a part of the package. We call it the, you know, the past life uh, legacy. All right, let's say hello to uh, Mark in Appleton, Wisconsin. Hello, Mark. Hello. I didn't catch your name. What is your name, sir? It's Paul Von Ward is the uh, guest. Von Ward? Paul Von Ward. And uh, I, uh, I heard on the radio uh, a few days ago that they said that maybe in about 40 or 50 a uh, million years, the the energy is gonna the universe, I should say, is gonna run out of energy. Uh, well, Tom Thomas Pinchon wrote a, a novel, a symbolic novel about en- entropy. I believe was the name of his novel. You know, gentlemen. Yes. Yeah, we're fam- familiar. By Thomas Pinchon, uh, and, and what's gonna happen to the souls of the people uh, when the when the when the universe runs out of energy? What's gonna be the What's going to be the ultimate outcome for those souls that were either uh, up to in heaven or just stayed down below? In, That's in an excellent, and, an uh, excellent point, Mark. It, it, never mind forty or fifty million years from now. Let's say there is some sort of a, I don't know, a cataclysmic event, an asteroid, a, a, a planet killer yeah. blows up planet Earth. What what happens to the whole uh, reincarnation uh, process, uh, Paul? Well, I think uh, let's go back to the sort of cosmology perspective I was describing earlier. If the universe is at its most fundamental level, pure consciousness, and that if we accept the notion that reincarnation is the way that pure consciousness from which the universe uh, arose is differentiated into various species, and if that consciousness is not dependent upon uh, a physical organism for its uh, existence. If those species are uh, wiped out of existence at the physical level, the the level of consciousness is going to continue to exist. Now, there's a lot of sort of extra-dimensional information from various sources saying that at a certain point in time, human uh, uh, souls would uh, reach a level of that super-consciousness so that they are not uh, incarnated at any uh, particular physical level. Uh, So I would, in answer to the caller's uh, view, I would say that whatever happens to our physical universe the consciousness uh, from which it arose uh, will simply reconfigure itself into another cycle. Uh, I call it in one of my books, uh, uh, the, the Our Solar and Legacy book, I call it the Grand Rebirth. And this is consistent with the ancient Hindu traditions, the notion of of the... Uh, existence of our own universe simply being a breath of the creative source, whatever that primal energy is that uh, is the basis of all that 
you know, we experience in this universe. Uh, Paul, just a couple of minutes uh, uh, remaining before we uh, we say goodnight, um, and and I'd love to have you back on the show. Obviously, much much to discuss. Have you done uh, research into uh, past historical figures uh, to determine whether or not they have been, in fact? Uh, reincarnated. I, I'm thinking of a, um, a gentleman by the name of, I think it's Richard Salva. I interviewed him a number of years ago, and he uh, compared the lives of Abraham Lincoln and Charles Lindbergh. And uh, I don't know if he went so far as, you know, uh, uh, biometrics and so forth, but he did describe sort of physical traits between the two. And, and he, his conclusion was that Lindbergh was, in fact, uh, the reincarnation of Abraham Lincoln. Have, have you ever done any sort of comparisons and studies on historical figures? Uh, well, to some extent, uh, I've been uh, doing uh, research uh, recently. Uh, one of the cases I alluded to earlier, a uh, German case which involved uh, the uh, military officer who tried to kill Hitler, Klaus von Stauffenberg. Uh, so that's an interesting case that I've been working on. Uh, I don't think we have a definitive uh, answer on whether he's reincarnated at this point in the person that we're working with. It's possible that we have found that person. Uh, It's also possible that we're working with a group of people who were involved in in, in, uh, that uh, coup attempt uh, against Hitler in 1944. So that's a very interesting case. Uh, One of the cases that I'm working with now involves the... Uh, English poet uh, Elizabeth Barrett Browning. And I think the case in that uh, uh, situation is much, much stronger. And I would go, so, we never say in the reincarnation experiment 100% on anything because we don't think we can scientifically say that at this point. But I think it's very likely that we have the reincarnation of Elizabeth Barrett Browning. Uh, and we've been able, because there's so much material on her and her life. And, of course, we have access to the person in this lifetime. Uh, another case that I've been working on involves the possible reincarnation of uh, Queen Elizabeth I, the uh, first uh, real queen of England uh, back in the 1500s. Uh, that's an interesting case, and we've got enough material there that we can also uh, uh, do the biometrics, the physical comparisons, and all of the creative mental personality and so on factors. So that's, that's a very interesting case. Cl- a quick uh, closing question. Uh, although you, you can't make the claim that you can definitively prove reincarnation scientifically, in your, in your mind, uh, Paul, in your heart, can you? Well, in my heart, I don't think there is any better explanation for the evidence that we have than reincarnation. Now, I don't think we have all the mechanisms figured out of how it works and and what its permutations are and and what the parameters of all the areas of evidence are. But I think, in my view, uh, with the evidence that we have, there is no better explanation for it than reincarnation. And I think, having said that, that that conclusion is strong enough that we, in our schools, in our psychology, in our medical world, in all of the human sciences, we need to start taking in 
to account that possibility in all of our theories and all of our work that we're doing. Well, Paul, I've uh, enjoyed our conversation, and I, uh, I hope that we can do this again. Would love to do it. Thank you very much. All right. I the, really appreciate it. The book is The Soul Genome, uh, Paul Von Ward, and the, uh, the website, reincarnationexperiment.org, reincarnationexperiment.org, and also Von Ward, all one word, V-O-N-W-A-R-D, Von Ward, uh, dot com. All right, Paul, until next time. Thank you very much. All right, that's uh, a wrap for tonight. We're going to uh, dim the lights and uh, thank Dan Ellison for technical production, for his wizardry as usual. Next week on the program, a rather uh, interesting fellow, sort of a renegade uh, investor, Howard Ruff will be here to talk about uh, investing in gold. I believe uh, the spot gold price is around uh, 1220 US. $1220. So uh, how is that going to be uh, affected for example by the BP oil uh, disaster and uh, the, uh, the all the speculation that we're heading into another recession, a double dip recession. Is it time to uh, to get into gold? Is it too late? Is it time to get out? We'll find out. We'll also uh, discuss other things of a conspiratorial or paranormal nature to be sure that's next week all right in the meantime don't be afraid there's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known what i speak in the light or what i speak in the dark speak in the light what you hear in a whisper proclaim from the rooftops move over aphrodite i'm coming home good night This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.